Oh, hey. Hey, guys. It's Crystal here with the first episode of We Believe You Pod. I can't believe that this is happening. I just, it's just been uh, years in the making. Um, I can't believe I'm recording the first episode. Ah, so excited. Uh, If you listen back to episode zero, I went into detail of the reasoning why I'm doing this. I hope you um, enjoyed it. And if you haven't listened to it, you will listen to it. Um... Oh my gosh, my first guest, my first guest was Rachel, which I have so much to say about her. But before I go into that, um, please take some time to uh, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. I don't know what that looks like for you, but take some time right now. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Follow us on We Believe You Pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, if that's your mojo. So we have to get this business out of the way. Take your time and subscribe. It helps us so much. Also, once you listen to all this, please feel free to contact us on any of our social medias or email us at info at we-believe-u.com. I thought I would I thought I would open up each episode with a quote that I found inspiring, um, in which I hope it inspires you. So I picked a quote from Margaret Atwood. If you don't know who she is, she is an author, author of The Handsmaid's Tale, which is a phenomenal book. Uh, the show. Uh, sometimes I have to fast forward some of those scenes, but it's also really, really great. Um, but Margaret Atwood said, you're never going to kill storytelling because it's built in the human plan. We come with it. I thought this was like perfect because everywhere I go, it doesn't matter where I'm at, I turn and I look and I see people and I acknowledge that everyone is carrying something. And this quote spoke to me because we all have a story. We all have an experience, and that experience connects us. It's all about connection, and I thought it was a good time for us to sit and think for a minute, getting our minds wrapped around why we're listening and why we're doing this, because we're all in this together. It is not just Rachel and I any longer. It is you, too, and I am so glad that you're here, and I am so thankful that you're open to listening. Uh, Rachel, 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 Uh, she... (laughs) Okay, well, first of all, I don't. I will not do spoilers in the beginning. I will hashtag what I can for you because I don't want to activate your triggers. One thing you should note right away is that most guests will just use their first name, um, and that's totally okay. And but there are a few exceptions, and Rachel is one of those exceptions. So she was open to um, using her first and last name, and that's not always going to be true. But uh, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, and I are plucked from the same tree. Um, she has just, she uses her humor um, to guard herself, just like I do. Uh, we both use it. Uh, it's our superpower to make people more comfortable or uncomfortable, depending on who you are. Um, but, oh man, Rachel, she wears her truth on her skin, on her sleeve, on her heart. Um, everywhere she goes, there is nothing but truth on her. Uh, she's fearless in every way possible. Um, but Rachel's actually a very successful artist, and I want you to know that ahead of time. I won't give away what kind of artist she is because you will hear that, so you have to listen to the whole thing. Um, you will hear her talk about it at the end of her podcast, and uh, she said that the same day after recording this podcast with me, she went home 
and purchased a bunch of equipment uh, to rebrand her art and rebrand what she does. Um, it had been manifesting for so long. She had to take a break from her art at some point um, in the like the last couple years, essentially, because she had some major spine issues, which you'll hear her talk about as well. But um, yeah, it was incredible to me that she said that after doing this podcast, she remembered how much she'd been through and that what is she waiting for? And it just really sparked uh, all of the things that she had been manifesting and all of her motivation. And doing this just jump-started her comeback into the beautiful rebrand of what she has. And now she's back to creating and empowering. And honestly, I was shocked to hear this when she told me um, I was, I didn't expect it and I am honored to have held that space for her. I just absolutely adore her and Rachel reminds me that I'm not alone because I'm a weirdo in the world and sometimes I'm like, who else is with me? And I'm like, Rachel is. So I, um, really just absolutely, Rachel, I absolutely adore you. And I love you so much. And I cannot thank you enough for coming on and showing the world uh, your strength. Um, So as we go into the first podcast, please keep your heart open. No judgment at all. And I love you. Thanks for listening. So where are you from? Uh, California. California? What part? Northern California. Like, like, like uh, uh, near wine country. Oh, wow. Yeah. Grew okay. up in a dairy town, okay. which the uh, dot-coms moved in in the early 90s. So now it's like a destination location for weddings and stuff, which is super weird because, you know, it smells like cow shit half the year, <laughs> <laughs> which just seems like a really weird place to choose to get married. But Cow shit and wine. Yeah. That's all you need. <laughs> cow shit and wine. Wow. So do you have siblings? I do. Estranged. Oh, Okay. How many? Two. Two. Brother and sister. And my family, they're all very tight. And then there's me kind of off to the side. Did you, have you always been that way? Yeah. My, my family like, like, um, grudges are all the rage in my family. So. Oh, explain that. And, uh, well, it's like, I think my parents did kind of like a pitting, against each other thing Mm. so it's it's been learned that there's always a one person out that make other people closer oh yeah and I just tapped out of that in my um early 20s and yeah you know kind of been searching for my own village since yeah yeah so that's interesting so you don't talk to your siblings no okay so, um, okay, let's talk about when, when you first experienced your trauma and your story. Um, tell me a little bit about the person and um, how you knew them or if you knew them. Well, the main, the main story would be my first marriage. And I met him when I was a stripper. And um, he was a customer. Oh. And at the time, I didn't raise the bar any higher than just looking like Tommy Lee. Yeah. So <laughs> it was uh, super dysfunctional. And um, I didn't see the red flags because of my conditioning from my entire past. Right. You know, we had tumultuous childhood. I mean, the 70s, you know, getting spanked with a belt was not a big deal. 
right or getting a wooden spoon broken over your head was kind of, was not a big deal you know and your siblings also experienced this oh yeah so it wasn't just you yeah and you are a person of color which i should mention correct yes i'm a biracial bisexual biped wow <laughs> you're like oh my god that's amazing that's amazing <laughs> okay okay i like that i like that a lot it's pretty great um so that's how you were disciplined essentially correct was violence correct and there we we weren't close so i it was you know we didn't talk i didn't know how to talk to people about things so um i was uh you know i was a i was a party girl i was wild yeah and in your childhood your do you remember your first experience of being physically harmed by one of your parents like or is it just something that was a given and you knew it's i don't just, remember any first time i mean it was just, just always yeah okay yeah okay i knew how not to make it worse you just don't move till it's over you know, right. my sister would fight and it would drag on and, you know, <laughs> I learned not to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't blame my parents. You know, it was a normal back then. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't harbor any resentment or anger at all. Right. You know, I mean, it gave me a, a, a building um, foundation of what not to do. So I don't strike my children and. You know, I yell. So hopefully when they have kids, they won't yell. <laughs> they yes. just keep approving, yeah, you know. Absolutely. Well, and, and I'm from the same generation and that parents only knew what they knew. And they're right. victims of their own circumstance and their right. own patterns. So there wasn't right. much. Exactly. So, you know, when the first time my um, ex hit me, it wasn't like, oh, my God, you hit me. Right. Right. So, so he, did he pursue you? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so he just showed up at the at the strip club. He slid me his number with tips. So and did he look like Tommy Lee? Um, yeah. Okay, well, well done on that front. Right. <laughs> Goal check and French. Oh, and wow. you know, I'm a small town girl, so I was very enamored by. Right. You know, I'm not very cultured, so I was like, oh. Yeah. It was just stupid. So you called him, and the relationship started. Yes. Right. Yes. And then you started dating. Well, yeah, you could call it that. Okay. Or just having sex. <laughs> Correct. A lot. Which is, it, that that was good. Yeah. And uh, he was the first person that I had dated that actually wanted to get me out of dancing. That wasn't mm. taking advantage of the money and wanting me to support them. So that to me, it it was, it felt so different and like, oh, he really loves me. So, you know, but just like the cycle of abuse, you know, their abusers are incredibly charming and they can be super, super fun. Yeah. So you get into this place and I thought that I was a very independent, strong person, but you get into this place where you divide them in your mind, like the good them and the bad them. And you, you try to adjust and change yourself to bring out the good person, the person you fell in love with. Yeah. So you get very caught up in that and you don't realize that your confidence and self-love and anything, any kind of um, whatever goes behind protecting yourself is all being stripped away. Yeah. While that's because you're so focused on trying to find that, person you fell in love with because you know they're there or you get glimpses of it yeah. you know which almost 
for someone like you could, it could be a childhood thing too, because you like just hearing you say you knew when to, when to not make it worse. So right. you were already putting on the quote unquote mask. Right. So it was a pattern already. It was a pattern already. And I feel like when, I mean, abusive relationships, any woman, any person can find themselves in them. But I think for me, I was rife for it to happen. Yeah. Be- not just because of, you know, my upbringing, but, and this is funny because, uh, not funny, haha, but like <laughs> fun, whatever. <laughs> I didn't realize until my like late 30s that what happened to me when I was 13 was molestation. So my very first boyfriend and his father picked me up. I cut school and I just remember like hash and alcohol and pills and they tried to have a threesome with me. A father and son? Yes. Oh my God, Rachel. And he was 16 and I don't know how old his dad was, but um, I just remember the dad like rubbing between my legs through my jeans and then I remember something gooey being in my other, my other hand, in my left oh hand. My God. I remember looking down and not knowing what it was and jumping up and running to the bathroom. And I remember my, you know, my privates burning. So I don't have a memory of what actually happened, but um, I don't think my, I mean, my clothes were on. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but I didn't know that that was molestation until my late thirties. And then, you know, as time went on talking about it in therapy and, and what else, a, a few times in my twenties, I had woken up after passing out at parties. One time I woke up with nothing on from the waist down in a bathtub. Oh and God. another time I woke up in a bed with bite marks like one bite mark in my inner thigh that was like bloody. And, you know, I mean, when you do drugs, parties can go on for days and days. And I would just go to the bathroom, clean myself up, and just like look at myself in the mirror and be like, you idiot. Why did you drink so much? Why did you get so fucked up? I mean, I even had friends being like, well, girl, you, what do you think is going to happen? Like as if you deserved it. Well, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier off off the mic, like the 80s culture in general, uh, John Hughes uh, type style, you know, women weren't, they were just there to right. have boobs and right. for bangable reasons. Exactly. And that's it. And that's exactly. how, and it, nobody was advocating in those films in our culture anywhere. It exactly. was just shame and blame and all the all the fingers were always pointed on the women. Exactly. And you know my dad was a workaholic and a very stern figure in my life and um I just always wanted his approval. It's still there. Yeah. And so, you know, I've always just seeking that kind of love. Yeah. So, you know, even though um what my first boyfriend did was awful, uh a year and a half later, I lost my virginity to him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I, these parties I woke up at, I just got myself cleaned up and went back t- to the party. And knowing yeah. that someone there probably was the one that did it, yeah. but not bringing it up. And there was no space. There was no space for you to tell people or talk about it. And because it just wasn't even accepted. Like things I totally understand. I think it's baffling 
sometimes to really, when I close my eyes and I sit and think about how many, every woman I see, or really it's any person of color anymore. Like I just am like they, everyone has yeah. this kind of story, right. you know, of, right. You know, and I, I'm very lucky. I mean, I'm half Asian and I feel like I've lived, I've, I have a lot of, um, a very white privilege adjacent. So I've, I've had the benefit of that umbrella. Um, so I haven't really had to deal with a lot of racism or, um, you know, I've never had like a serious girlfriend. I've dated women. I've slept with women, but I've never had to deal with like scary homophobia or any of that. Yeah. Um, so. <sighs> yeah. So working up to <clears throat> your ex-husband, you had already experienced these significant trauma without processing. Yeah, exactly. Without not processing, processing or accepting or anything. It's just was the way of the world. Essentially. Right. Right. And I'm not saying that, you know, any of those things were my fault. Right. But I definitely did not really give a shit about myself. Right. And so did I put myself in risky situations? Absolutely. Yep. You know, I definitely lived a high risk lifestyle. Um, doesn't mean that I deserved what happened to me. But right. I think by the time I realized, oh, I was raped. Yes. I think, you know, in, in my marriage, I didn't know that you could be raped in a marriage. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so, so when my what, husband would force me, oh my I didn't know that was rape. Right. Because you were married to him. Right. And sometimes after he beat me, he would get aroused and finish it that way. So... Oof, let's go back to when you, you first started dating him. How soon did his abuse come on to you? Like, how soon did it start? And do you, like, I, you mentioned earlier, another question I had was, um, you mentioned earlier that he wanted you, he wanted to get you out of stripping. Right. Do you think now it's power and control? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That's how it started. Right. It's, but in your mind, it was like, he cares about me. Correct. Yes. And, correct. and somebody wants, wants to do me good. You That's know, and exactly. treat me like I'm supposed to be treated. Right. And mind. it was really just the first step of control and um, isolation. Right. So that was the next question. So the first thing is he's like, let's not get you to strip anymore. And then you obviously had a whirlwind of friends and people around you that you partied with, hung out with. Did he then remove you from them oh, yeah. as well? And yeah. how did you do that? Oh, just very jealous. Super, oh. super jealous. Did not want me around anyone that he thought was a quote unquote whore, which then all strippers were whores, <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. And this is someone that, okay. I'm and at that point we were there. living together. I'd given up my job. We had started a clothing store together on Melrose in LA. And um, it was the first time I ever did something on my own. You know, and I did all the uh, I did all the creative for the the window displays, and I did the whole design for the store. I mean, I was really proud of it. Yeah, and um, so I was pretty much completely under his thumb at that point. Yeah, and so how how long like time period from when you first started dating to where you're all of a sudden living with him, not married yet? I would assume not married yet, <clears throat> not married yet, and you're living with him. You started your store. Was he abusing you then? Like, when was the first time? I would say we we went, we got, it was really quick. So it was like within six months we were living oh together. He moved in with me. And um, then he quickly got my roommate out. 
And uh, then I think maybe maybe another six months before we started the store together, we were engaged. Wow. When I was pregnant for the first time, which I had a miscarriage because um, he was beating me and kicking me in the back oh, and uh, when I was curled up on the ground. So I miscarried that baby. It was very early, though. So luckily, I didn't have the trauma of, you know, seeing anything um, and didn't have to go to the hospital or anything like that. I just took just Oh, my God. Myself. But I still do think that that um, is related to some of the, uh, to my current disability, the spine issues I have. Yes. You know, because he had combat boots on. And that was one of his favorite things to do was because I would ball up and he would just keep kicking me. So. And did you tell anyone at the time when it first started? Yeah. I had a few friends in Northern California and we were living in LA that I would call and talk to. And, um, you know, I mean, I think, I think the statistic is it takes seven times for, a um, for someone to leave their abuser. It, it was 11 for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And how long of a time span were you going through at that time? Like 11 times, how long were you with him? Four years. Oh God. <sighs> <sighs> Yeah, I have journals where it's just, it's hard to read them. Yeah, you know? I can imagine. Yeah. So. Um, was the occurrence once a week, random every day, like when in those four years at the height of it? How much? To, well, like, when, how I, much? when I got pregnant with our son, I gained like 80 pounds. And then it was, it got really bad. Um, he just, you know, would always tell me how disgusting I am and just how he'd see all these, you know, beautiful, skinny women with the pregnant belly and why can't he, he would just get so angry and like any little thing, like, you know, I, I, one time I made dinner and I, I put salt and sweet together and he'd like flip the table and, oh my God. you know, beat the shit out of me cause I should have known better. And he worked all day. Like it just, it, it, it's, it's like went from little things to like being really jealous and controlling and like taking my car keys so I couldn't leave and grabbing my arm, come here to getting the shit kicked out of me. So it didn't feel like a progression at all, but it definitely amped up and got worse when I got pregnant. Wow. You would think it would be, well, no, you can't, they don't, people like him don't think the way I do is what I assume. So you know, you would think it would be the opposite for a normal human being. So, um, okay. That's, so I'm wondering like, and so you had the baby, right? And were you still with him at that time? Yes. Okay. I left him when, um, my, our son was 11 months old and, uh, wow. the day I finally left, I can't rem I cannot remember what we were fighting over. But I put, the, I put my, our son in the stroller and I was going to just get away from him and take him for a walk while he was getting ready for work and come back after he was gone. And I put the stroller outside as I was carrying him to the door and I just get yanked back. He had grabbed me by my ponytail, took the baby, shoved me out the front door, locked the door. And there's like a little window in the door and I'm like banging on the door to get in and he's holding our, our baby in front of the window, like kissing him and oh yelling at me in French, calling me names. And I'm just crying. And then he opens the door 
puts the baby down and grabs me and pushes me against the wall with his forearm and he spits in my face and he's calling me names in French and um, I black out. And when I come to, he's gone and the baby's on, you know, my son's on the floor. He's got his, sorry, this is hard to talk about. Oh, Rachel, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. (laughs) My baby's sitting there. He's got like a a white onesie on and it's just soaked in front tears and he's got like tears and snot his face is red and he's crying and I just put as much as I could fit in my little Honda Accord in the car and I left wow and um that's my parents that's when my parents really stepped up for me if I, I had somewhere to go I was very very lucky yeah I had somewhere to go and um, he uh, burned all my things, which of all the things is like still something that's hard for me. I'm still bitter about that. Like he physically burned them? Everything. My, my, my old yearbooks, old love letters, notes from, you know, Notes from, I kept everything. Notes from, you know, passing notes in school with your best friend in fifth grade. Your childhood. My childhood. Like everything was hard copy. We didn't have anything digital backup back then. So um, that was really difficult. Um, And, you know, my my address books. So I lost (sighs) touch with people because, you know. Yeah, back then they didn't have Facebook. Yeah, and you know, a lot of my friends were strippers, so we use fake names, so I can't just look them up on Facebook because I don't remember their real names. Um, so I'm very grateful that I did have the strength to leave that time and not subject my son to the, the burden of memory. Um... And now the irony of it all is that my ex is re- very poor and very depressed. And my son's 22 now. And, you know, he cries on the phone to my son. So my son knows he's going to have to take care of him someday, which means I'm probably going to have to give my son money to help him take care of his father. Wow. Which. I will, of course, do for my son. Yes. But, you know, it's just, you know, funny. That is, it is. I get it. Like, <laughs> it's not like funny. Ha-ha. A fucking course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So um, did during this time of the, the heighten of the abuse, did you ever call the cops? No. No. Because he would hold getting deported over me. And I didn't want to be responsible for that. God, it's just psychological abuse, just so yeah, much psychological. Okay. Exactly. And when you you made the call to your parents, which was probably really hard for you to yes. do. And had you ever called them before in this in this realm when you were no, dealing with him? No, but they saw, you know, I they, they saw knew. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean I would go visit my mom with my son and like one of the whites in my eyes would be red, you know. My blood vessels in my eyeball would be blown out and I'd always have um, hand bruises, handprint bruises in my upper arms. Oh my God. So, you know, 
I mean, he's pretty clever. He 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 usually made sure it wasn't on my face. Yeah, you know. But yeah. in L.A. in the summer, when someone's wearing a fucking turtleneck yeah. to a barbecue, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know. Absolutely. So your parents came and got you. Uh, I drove there to them. But like our entire friend group, people knew. Yeah. No one did anything. Yeah. You know, they all loved him. So even though it was in front of them, they chose not, not to engage, not to lean in. No one leaned in. Exactly. Which just kind of, you know, um, validated that well of course why wouldn't they i'm a piece of shit yeah you know so becoming a parent actually saved my life you know i used to joke uh that i would not live to 30 you know like live fast die young uh i definitely believe that was gonna be you know what happened to me and i was fine with it which looking back is really fucked up but I used to like I used to like you know pride myself on it yeah you know um so the fact that you know I'm sitting here at 48 years old married with three kids is like a fucking miracle you know and that my kids are well adjusted amazing compassionate funny human beings you know I'm just so proud of myself well I'm sure we all I mean we fuck up our kids we can't help it yeah there's but I'm so I do take a lot of pride in the kind of mother that I've been able to become. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause there's only a few things I really feel good at and being a mom's one of them. So do you think that's what like, you know, the, the goal of the podcast is to talk about who helped you, who healed you, what healed you, like mm-hmm. what, who, who did lean in, you right. know, you drove yourself to your parents. Then what happened? Well, you know, as far as far as like actual the the processing and all of that, like the emotional support, I've always been pretty much on my own um, because I, you know, my friends are basically my age. You know, none of us know how to fucking process anything emotionally. Nope. Nope. You know, people show up and and, you know, go out drinking with you or, you know, yes, you people hang out. Yes. But, you know, if I would bring it up. It'd be like, oh man, that sucks. And then that's as far as it goes. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, so essentially you, you helped yourself. Yes. You helped yourself. You right. on your own with you and your baby, which now I'm going to tear up. You just said I'm out. Yeah. And after telling people over and over and over again is what it sounds like. You did tell your friends, you did try, but nobody leaned in to give you a hand. No one said I mean, it sounds like he did, right? Which is how the whole manipulation happened to begin with, is what it sounds like. But you did it on your own, which is amazing. Yeah. Amazing, Rachel. Like, that strength and being able... I mean, yes, it is important that you had a place to go. I'm not dismissing that ever, because many people don't. Right. And I'm aware of that. But, you know, you physically said it to yourself and then made that happen for you. Yeah. So you had... You have your baby... Where do you go from there after your parents? When did you meet your current husband? Um, so I was working property management. The company had a lot of like Section 8 housing and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm very, I'm really good with a, with a very diverse group of people. 
I can like go and hang out with yeah. and, you know, go see the, the manager of the DMV at one building and then go and try to talk to the, the, the um, tenants that are late on their rent in the Section 8 housing and have everybody laughing. Yes, and, of course. You know, you know, that's my day and it's normal. It's fine. Yeah. So I was, I was actually pretty good at it, but it definitely wasn't anything that was fulfilling. And um, I had been into photography as a kid. And I remember as a teenager, absolutely loving being in the dark room for hours. I used to love it. Ah. And I started doing photography again and just taking pictures of friends and like doing their hair and makeup and stuff. And at this point, things had gone digital. So I would work all day. And then I'd put my kid to bed and just sit at a computer teaching myself Photoshop. Rad. And um, it just got to a point where, like, you know, my friend's friends would see the picture of them that I did and be like, oh, my God, I want one. And then I'd be like, well, I don't know her, so she can give me, like, 100 bucks. And then it just kept growing. And I decided, all right, well... This might be a thing. And I had met a guy online that lived in L.A. And I was like, maybe this is another sign. So I sold my condo. I took enough equity out to live on it for a year to pursue a career in photography. So I moved to L.A. with my son, which ironically, my ex saw him less when we lived 30 minutes away than when we lived a two-hour plane ride away, (laughs) which is funny. Anyway, um, and just built up my business. The guy that I moved there for, I found out pretty quickly. He was a coke addict. Oh. <laughs> so I broke up with him and found myself a single mom in L.A. And pretty sad about it because I was like, oh, my God, I moved cl- back close to my abuser. What did I do? And um, I met my husband. I met Sean. So... Uh, we were just like peas and carrots from the beginning. Like we became best friends super fast. Unfortunately, he was married, um, but I didn't see him as like, like he's so not my type. Uh, although that does not saying much because my type is basically who's going to make me feel like shit. Right. Fuck all my friends. Yeah. The type so far, the type that you had so far. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Like I had never been with someone, you know, based on uh, friendship. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. It's been 14 years. That's crazy. Four years was my longest relationship before that. So. Yeah. And that was with my ex-husband. Yeah. 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 So. So where? What happened with the photography? Did you continue? I did. I ended up um, getting a. Um, exhibition at this place called the Arc Light in Hollywood, which is a a huge uh, movie place where you know you can go see movie theater, but they do a lot of like red carpet stuff there, premieres and cool. you know award stuff. So uh, I did like a before and after thing. So I had like a picture, just a snapshot, and then like a little testimonial. And then a picture of them that I had done after hair and makeup and all this. And it's my work had become very um, like old Hollywood glamour. And when I had started, I mean, I didn't know shit about anything. So I had just bought um, floodlights from Home Depot and had them clamped on a stack of paint cans and shooting my in my uh, 
garage with like a big piece of black velvet <laughs> as a background. Um, and a friend of mine who lived in downtown LA uh, texted me. He's like, I found some lights in a dumpster. Do you want them? And they turned out to be Mold Richardson lights. Oh my God. Which were the same lights that George Harrell used for his, you know, Marlene Dietrich and yeah. you know, all the old Hollywood movie sirens. So I named the exhibition Sirens. And um, it kind of like launched a whole career. And so, you, and you, what was the mission of Sirens? It was an imp- uh, female empowerment. Yes. So, and, you know, and it was just, it like, I pulled it out of my ass. It's like not something I planned. It's just something that, it's like, it's just funny, like the way life unravels. It just kind of spits you out in a place where you're like, oh, I was kind of meant to do this. <laughs> and, um, you know, just like all the stuff in my in my past and, you know, the fact that I was a stripper for 11 years, I just knew how to pose women. And, you know, you know, the trauma that I've been through, I could relate like it's like if, you know, a hairdresser or a massage therapist, yeah. it's I think I think when you when you're in like any kind of intimate setting, private setting, people just talk to you. Yep. You know, and it, it just would kind of blindside me sometimes the things people would come out with, but they would come out and just blurt out trauma. Yeah. You know, they would confide in me that they're in abusive relationships, the, you know, all kinds, all kinds of stuff. Um, or just, you know, I've never felt pretty, Aww. you know, then they'd get their pictures and just ball their well, eyes. T- out. Talk about the pictures that you do specifically like talk about um what they look like Mm -hmm. and what you're going for um well it's like boudoir is like the term um i just i mean i don't know i mean i like i'm just really naturally capable of pulling out uh, someone's true personality and yeah. being able to capture it. No, your your photos, I will tell you firsthand that um, I've, when your website was up, I, I would follow you when you were at the peak of all of it. And um, you made every single woman feel beautiful. It wasn't looking beautiful. You made them feel exactly. beautiful. And they, exactly. it was overwhelming to me that you took some giant, diarrhea mouth kind of stuff that happened to you in your life yeah. and unintentionally fell into where you were falling and, and yeah. being able to connect with another human being knowing your background and you made them feel good about yeah. themselves and yeah. that's what you see so a lot of a lot of your photos are sexy somebody would call them sexy um I know that I've never been photographed by you and I'm so intimidated by it because I'm you know the whole vulnerability thing and not feeling beautiful still. <laughs> well, we'll but have like, to rectify that. I know. Girl, you need me then. I know. I know. But I'm, <laughs> so, I mean, it was, I always found them brave. I found your photos brave that what you were doing and brave what they were doing. Like it right. was equally two people leaning in and, right. and creating beautiful And it's all magic. about, you know, they were in control, whatever they wanted yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, but knowing that, look, you just want to be able to have this experience and not look back and, and say, Oh, I wish I would have done this. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you, if it was, if, if maybe you didn't want to do nudes, but you know, you just don't order them. Yeah. Cause then I destroy the images later. Right. Like, you did their goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. So would you say that you still have to see your abuser 
currently? Oh, no. No. Okay. Because I mean, he's I'm, in another state. He's in another state, but also um, he's a very uninvolved parent. I wouldn't even call him a parent. Right. He was like Disneyland dad. Yeah. You know, and then just got to a point where he stopped seeing him. Oh, no. So years go by. He doesn't see him. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And that sucks for my son, but I yeah. haven't had to actually physically see him in... <sighs> Since my son was eight. Oh, wow. So does your son know? Yes. Wow. Yes. And the only reason I told him is because my ex told him that I kidnapped him. So he was lying. Is he a Correct. sociopath? What is he? Oh, he's absolutely a sociopath. Or, or like, is he a borderline? I'm almost wondering, because I'm now there's a fine line between sociopaths and just borderline personality, where it's manipulation and lies. Just well, sheer... I'm not a trained professional. I'm not either. But I would not say that he's got any kind of um, split personality. I mean, I think that he's probably a psychopath. Right. He and just doesn't have empathy. Yeah. And he's a, a big man baby. So he doesn't get his what he wants. He doesn't get his way. He has a fucking tantrum. Yeah. And is, is his parents alive? Are his parents his alive? His parents are alive. Um, in fact, his mother stayed with us for a month before my son was born. And I remember one time him beating me. And I looked at her and I was begging her for help. And she no, put her hands know. behind her back and her, put her head down and walked out of the room. And went into her room and shut the door. Oh, that poor woman is probably... So it's it's... God, I mean, she did look pained and she was in French asking, quietly asking him to stop. But I don't really know if it was to stop hurting me. I think it was more like, please don't hurt the baby is the feeling I got. Right. Well, that feeling was probably correct for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was wow. no warmth towards me from that woman. Okay. And so. they're not involved in your son's life. No. Either. And that's their choice. Right. I mean, they would, I'm sure that they would love to, but you know, they, I don't know if they have the money to come from France and visit my ex and have fly my son down. And I don't, I haven't, I have no idea. Right. I don't know. Interesting. And they don't speak the same language. Right. So there's a there's language. That. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Wow. That's your story is a little mind blowing to be honest, because, um, you didn't have any support, Rachel. Like that is the part that enrages me, to be honest, because I know what that feels like. And um, there was no space for you to process anything else to stop cycles that were continuing. And you had a multitude of um, really hard, really hard situations where you were a victim of a multitudes of different kinds of abuse. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, when I think back on, you know, support. I, I don't know that I, it's hard for me now to receive support. Yeah. I feel, I, it's I feel weird and I'll, I'll start doing weird faces. And, right. You know, yeah. I, I like get all court gestury. I don't know. I don't like it, yeah. you know, or if I share, I do sometimes get the kind of raised eyebrow thing. Like, you know, cause like when you're, when you talk about sexual violence, people expect there to be one story. Yeah. And I've yeah. been open and shared things that have happened to me. And then it's like, you know, you get this progressive, progressively pinchy face from, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. you can tell like 
really? And then that happened? Oh, and now that happened. And you don't feel like anyone believes you. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. it's like, you don't, you know, and the people that knew me when it was happening, not to say like, well, you know, that's normal. It would happen to her. But my entire life has been right. connected with some form of abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot for someone else to hear that maybe hasn't experienced it or read or really, really being like I've noticed with the movements of our society now that people just aren't willing to hear it. They're not, they're still not wanting to lean in and hear it. I don't think people know how. No, they don't. And they don't, they're denying their own. A lot of it is just denial of their own truths. Right. Exactly. And I actually going back to when I, after I left my ex, my parent, my mother wanted me to go back and get furniture that she had bought. Like the, yeah. So I had to go back and get some furniture. My parents lent me a van and I had one friend that we drove down to LA in this work van Stayed in a hotel by my ex's house, got up, parked down the street, waited to see his car leave, went into the house. I was so terrified. We're loading up the furniture. I got I got the baby stuff. I got some of my clothes. I started doing his laundry. Oh, my God. She had to grab me and shit by the shoulders and shake me to, like, snap me out of it. So, you know, I mean, as an as. I don't know. I have I have a lot of trust issues. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. I don't have many close friends. I always joke that, um, you know, I mean, it's a true fact, but I always I make it this joke that, you know, I've been invited to more abortions than weddings. I'm all, I've always been kind of the crisis friend. Yeah. You know, people show up when they need me to show up for them. Yeah. When they need someone. But yeah. like when things are good no one's around. So the last couple years I've been very like my self care is all about it being okay for me to have boundaries and to raise a bar to a level of, look, this isn't about a tit for tat thing, right? But if I'm going to put energy into you, you need to put energy into me or I'm out. Right. I, I understand you posted something on Instagram recently. It was probably last night that I saw it, and I forget what it said exactly, but it was like, I'm always like, I don't I don't see anybody. I don't have any friends. Like, I think about this stuff in my head, and then as soon as I see someone in public, I run. <laughs> like, everything you just said, I relate to so much. It's true. Because I'm, I'm in the same mold right now where I'm like, I don't want to invest my time in things that I'm not going to get space back right exactly my whole life has been the same exact pattern like where i it's about them and to the point where i'm like i can't be a martyr here right but i've got to be able to take up my own space right and they have to be okay with it right you know and like when i was working it was free photo shoots and you know now i'm the stay-at-home mom and it's free childcare, and you know and i'll like I want to I want to get to a place where I can just do for people even if it doesn't come back to me but then I think about that and I'm like fuck that <laughs> you know so I you know I, you know you think about like evolving into this person where you're like oh right but like I just think I have a lot I mean I know I have a lot of darkness in me and in I've, I've like forgiven myself for that and and freed myself from this burden of thought that 
makes me constantly feel like I'm not enough and that I'm broken where I've to be this evolved person and to have be, you know, to be healed from all this, I have to, you know, be fixed. No, I don't have to be fixed. No, the shit that's happened to me doesn't define me, but it sure the fuck is part of me. Yes. So, you know, that comes out in weird ways, you know, I mean, I don't like sitting at the movies with people behind me. I don't, if someone's right behind me when I'm walking down the street, I will step to the side and let them go forward. I'm hyper vigilant with my children. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many other people raise their kids on Dateline, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. the world is dangerous and I would rather my children lose their innocence to knowledge than a fucked up experience yes. or experiences. Yes. And I'm tired of having people in my life that make me feel bad or weird. Yeah. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. And I don't care. I mean, my kids are old enough now where I don't have to go sit at play dates with them yeah. and worry about whether the parents like Ugh, me. The worst. So that the my kid can, worst. you know, play with their kid. I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm free. Yeah. So I don't, I honestly do not care what people yeah. think yeah. anymore. Yes. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. And the interesting um, little side thing or little cherry on top that that came with that is this really weird like acceptance and forgiveness. I don't know really how to explain it. Of yourself? Of other people? Because I used to get, like I said, I was raised on, um, you know, my family's big on grudges. And I would do that. Like this person did that and fuck them, you know, and I'd kind of ride the hate for a while till I became indifferent. And I just go straight to indifference now. Like I've just leapfrogged over the whole hate part. Which is amazing. Which is great. But I almost don't know what to do with myself. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Because if you're not stewing over something. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of golden motivation that that is birthed from spite. Oh my God. Yeah. But I don't Mm -hmm. feel any of that anymore. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, I don't know. It's weird to, um, you're, you're shackled with something that you're not aware of your whole life. Mm -hmm. And then it just falls off and you're like, Oh, what now? Now what I do? Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know? Yeah. So I, um, as much as I love doing the photography and I really miss working with people working with women. I want to do that again, but the whole digital thing uh, just became the retouching became an albatross. I got very good at it. So I was like in a chair six, you know, 60, 70 hours a week editing. I had no life. And then, um, you know, with my spine issues, it basically put me on an, an operating table several times right? and had to, you know, uh, I had to retire and now I'm legally disabled because I'm in pain all the time. But I would like, you know, like any artist, if we're not creating, we we stagnate inside. So I do want to get back into it. So um, I'm kind of putting feelers out there to see if I can go back to, you know, do a couple events like with talking to another photographer that I mentored. Um, our work flows really well together um, to partner up so I wouldn't have to do the burden of all the work by myself for like maybe four events. Yeah. So I can make enough money to buy gear to start a new passion project getting back into photography completely divorcing digital completely 
and getting into wet plate collodion. What's that? It's like early, early photography. It's almost like a pinhole type box. And you have a plate of glass that you put a, a chemical on and it's like syrupy. And then you fix it in silver nitrate. You put it in. You expose it right there. Oh, my and God. Then that you sounds de- amazing. You develop it right there. That sounds amazing. So Old timey. Old timey. You know, it's and beautiful. I want to do obvious, you know, I, I want to, <coughs> I'm a portrait photographer. I want to be able to go back and shoot women, um, but they get one. Yeah, which is beautiful. I see so much beauty in that. Me too. And I it's, see so it's, much beauty it's in a that. one of a kind. Yeah. And no one is doing anything like that. Um, no there one. Are, I mean, there are a lot of people doing it, but um, no one can ask me to fucking take 30 pounds off them. Yeah. It got, yeah. To, it got to a point where I started feeling like a hypocrite because here I am oh. empowering women. And then here, you know, I'm getting these retouching requests. So then I'm editing them. You know, I want to make them happy. So then I'm editing, you know, them to where they're not looking like themselves anymore. Oh. And then my little ba- my little babies are asking me, "Mommy, what are you doing?" Yeah. So I, you know, that just wasn't in line with the kind of yeah. So you mother almost... to girls I wanted to be, yeah. and it really wasn't what I wanted to do. And you know, the economy was shit at the time, and I was, you know, I was the the primary breadwinner. So yeah. you have to make the client happy. It wasn't in a place where you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. A choice. Right. Yeah. And now you can brand yourself on that. Now you now can go at it re-brand. with a different voice exactly. and a different everything exactly. where it's the way you're going to, yeah. Exactly. So that it's a real creative um, process yeah. between me and whoever I'm shooting. And we're going to make something together that we both feel really good about. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's really exciting. That's yeah. really, I admire your work on a creative level so much. And I admire your life and that you have been able to find a way to keep kicking and keep kicking loudly and being who you are. Um, I don't know many, I don't know many women that could have gotten themselves out of that situation that you were in, Rachel. I really, truly don't. Um, I think that the patterns, like listening to what you just said, I'm not a psychologist, I don't know anything, but the patterns in your life were heavy and big. And you have found a way, like I just heard you say, I don't feel angry anymore, I'm indifferent. And even though you don't know what to do with that, you still said that, which is, there's so many women that want to be there. Yeah. So many women. And people, it's not just women, it's people that want to be there, that can find a way to let it go. You don't even know how, but it's happened. Right. And I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying. It just, it doesn't fall on me. Like it just, Mm -hmm. you're, I don't know. It's like human being, the human mind, what's normal. Right. It's amazing what your normal can be. So I hear what you're saying and looking, you know, objectively, yeah, that's, I get it. But like being in it, like the, the marriage, that was fucking horrifying. But like all the, all the other things, like when you grow up a certain way and oh, then, yeah. you know, you're, you, you, when, when everything is set up for you to be a victim, mm-hmm. it, it's, and once it happens to you the first time, it, it just makes it so easy to keep happening, yep. you know? And I feel really grateful that I was spared 
you know, like horrifying abuse from a family member through my childhood, any of that kind of stuff. I mean, strife and difficulty with my parents, but my parents are good people. My father's a good man. And um, I don't know that uh, I would be able to have survived if that was not the case. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is you feel lucky. Yes. Yeah. Which I do. I do I, that, I that my my trauma happened from outside my own family. Yeah. Even though my family and I aren't close, I I feel like being such a, I feel like a lot of times I'm, I'm just like a fucking, you know, raw nerve ending. I yeah. feel things so much deeper than most people, it seems. Um, and I can't let go of things emotionally unless I resolve it in some way. So being connected to someone like that, like I do, I just don't, that's something I don't know if I could. Uh, so I, well, I don't really know where I'm going with this. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay, well, I, I did, I did fine. I'm just glad it wasn't this. Like it's always worse. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, first, not that that makes me feel better, but it's, it, it does, does put it into a perspective for me right. where I'm like, of course I could survive that. Those are elements I can handle. Like I know myself well enough, you know, but at the same time, like if those things didn't happen to me, would I, would I be able to be the, the parent and the partner and the friend that I am today? Would I have been able to empower and touch the lives of all those hundreds and hundreds of women that I worked with over yeah. 12 years? Yeah. You know, it's a part of your story. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Have you ever confronted him? <sighs> no. No. That's okay. That's okay. Like, there's nothing. I don't know if what I heard for a second was shame, but fuck that is what I'm saying to you because, you know, there's nothing. So There's sometimes no need, you know? They you know. can't confront someone that doesn't denies hear, it to yes, your exactly, face. Yes, exactly, as in a truth person that doesn't, yeah. has, has false false truths. So what's, right. the, what's, it's wasted fucking energy. Yeah, exactly. And anger and resentment. It just triggers right. like the whole I, thing. And I made a face because I wouldn't be able, I don't think I would trust myself to. Yeah. Because uh, I know exactly what he'd do. He'd be like, I've never touched you. Uh, you know? God. And then I would probably karate kick him under the jaw. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. that's in my head. I don't know if I could actually kick that high, but. Right, right, right. In your head. You, well, your 20-year-old self could. I can guarantee that. If you were stripping, you could kick that's someone That's true. In I the could job. do the <laughs> les splits. <laughs> well, um, anything else you want to ra- add here? Well, yeah, I would like to add if anybody out there, you know, going through just that is needing to hear this and needing to hear someone just say that you're enough oh. and that it's okay. Whatever space you're in, it's okay. It's it's just okay and you're perfect. The We're all perfect are. exactly where we are and we can strive to do better and make ourselves better. But what that looks like is always going to change. And, you know, when you reach all the things that you want, like stability and security and loving relationship no one ever told me how boring it was going to be yeah (laughs) i under yeah when (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Rachel. I love that we ended that bad boy in laughter. So us. Um, so one of the things I'm doing is each guest picks a nonprofit that they feel passionate about. And Rachel picked the Oregon Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. They promote equity and social change in order to end violence for all communities. Um, if you want to know more about them, go to ocadsv.org, ocadsv.org. And if you'd like to know more about Rachel's uh, work, go to rachelstevensphotography.com, rachelstevensphotography.com. What she does is amazing. And you will see her entire rebrands that this podcast motivated her to do. Um, she's absolutely phenomenal. Um, when I clicked on the website, it says really big. I have a passion for helping women love themselves. So how wonderful is that? Oh, Rachel, just a badass human being. You can find her at Rachel Stevens Photography on Instagram, Facebook, all the things. Um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, Rachel. Uh, my nonprofit, my, you'll hear this over and over, Rahab Sisters. Please find them if you're looking to volunteer or do some kind of work here locally in Portland. That is my go-to nonprofit forever. And um, you can find us at We Believe You Pod and all the social medias. And if you are uh, interested in coming on and sharing your story, um, you can email us at info at we-believe-you.com. Um, we would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think, good or bad. We are open. Email us at any time. Uh, in the meantime, do your best in this world. Keep your head up. And um, all you can do is show compassion. That's all we got, man. Keep that compassion first. And uh, thanks for listening to our first episode. I love you. <laughs>